0: Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to take a break from Ephesians. Uh, this will be the last one that we've got uh, for the Christmas season. Um, I'll let you know what we're going to get into. Uh, we've got some—I've uh, got some ideas brewing uh, about what we're going to get into through the holiday season, and uh, I've got—I'm uh, planning for Jason Hummerkaus to come at least once between now and then to participate in some of that. And so, I want to encourage you to be praying that God will give us. Wisdom as I think about what are we going to do and how are we going to do it and what what you know uh, thinking through these things right it's not random we want to be real specific about what am I going to preach about and what does our church need to hear okay now I've got two reasons why I don't have a a PowerPoint for you today one is because uh, my week was very busy and I didn't wrap it up but at the same time it's very good that this is going to be this way because I'm hoping that today will be more of a conversation with you. Uh, than just a teaching situation, okay? So I'm I'm hoping for real good involvement and really thinking through the things that we're talking about. I've been hoping that that God would really just pour His Spirit out on us today as we talk about these things. Um, Let me give you just a few review points about this Ephesians passage that we've covered so far. We've talked about Ephesians 1 to verse 14. I've said this so many times, you're probably tired of hearing it, but verse 3 to verse 14, in the original when Paul wrote it, right? When he was uh, working out this, uh, this, this sentence, it ended up being one big long sentence. Now, for us, it would be a big carry-on sentence. It would be poor grammar, but for Paul, it wasn't. In the Greek language, this was not poor grammar to have such a long sentence. It was completely acceptable. Uh, and so he had this one big long sentence. So verse three down to verse fourteen. I would encourage you to even mark that off in your Bible, like the beginning of the sentence, end of the sentence. It's a long sentence, right? Uh, because of that, because of the way this sentence was written, uh, there's a certain poetic quality to this passage, as well as most of the rest of the book. The first half of the book, there's several other big, long sentences. The next one is verse 15 to verse 23, is it's a, a second? So almost the whole chapter, of uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, is two big sentences, right? And, but it was done in such a way that it fit their grammar perfectly, and, and so it takes on this certain poetic quality to it. Uh, this is why there's several uh, uh, commentators and, and people who are much smarter than I have th- than I am that have said that Ephesians is unique amongst uh, many of Paul's uh, letters, Paul's epistles. It's it's almost like some of them have called it the the queen of the epistles. It's like the him, one of his chief works that he's written. It just stands out a little bit differently than some of his others. It's it's more poetic in quality. It's more eloquent. he, he just kind of. Uh, like we might say, he, he waxes eloquent when he wrote this book, right? Now, these things are, are important facts to take into consideration. It may seem like, uh, why do I need to know that? But if you're really going to understand Ephesians, you have to know these little facts. It kind of helps us uh, paint a better picture of what Ephesians is about. Ephesians was also written to multiple churches, even though we have it written as a letter to the Ephesians. Uh, every scholar is in agreement that this letter went out to several churches. And, and in fact, many of our oldest copies of the book of Ephesians, where it says to the church in Ephesus, there's actually just a blank. And so when it went to the church of Ephesus, they filled in Ephesians. Then when it went to this church, they just filled that in. And so we have copies of this same letter that are old that have like to the church in Laodicea and to these other churches. And so uh, that's an important thing to consider as well. This is written to many churches, right? Um, Now the theme uh, that I've had for this book, uh, anybody tell me, what's the theme? I've had a slide up there every week. What's the theme for the book of Ephesians that I gave you? It's a question. Yeah, how big is our... View of God, right? Yeah, oh, you knew it, didn't you? Uh, How big is our view of God, right? How big is your view of God? So I'm going to ask you this question, okay? And then I'm going to explain the question for you. Do you think big thoughts about God, right? Do you think big thoughts about God? I mean, Paul did. Let me read this first sentence This first big long sentence in Ephesians that we've been studying. And just listen to how big of thoughts that Paul was thinking when he wrote this. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Now, Paul thought big thoughts about God. Right? I mean, huge, enormous, grand thoughts about God. In this, uh, in this particular passage, you notice that these thoughts of God take the form of different ideas or what you might call teachings or doctrines of God. And frankly, in this passage, we have some of the most essential teachings of what Christianity is really about, right wrapped up in this one big long sentence. Let me hit just some of those things for a, for a moment. But before I do, I want to I start to paint an example. Okay? I'm going I'm to try to paint a picture of an example. And I'm going to tie that example in with what we're talking about. Okay? So I, I want you just to just picture with me for just a minute. A guy, and, and he, he's going to ask a girl to marry him. And, and he's loved this girl for a long time. right? He's loved her longer than, than she's loved him. And man, he's ready. He, he's, he wants to get her a gift. The gift that he wants to give her is in the form of a an engagement ring, right? But he's going all out. In fact, he's going all out in such a way that this is actually something before he even knew her, he had been planning this all along, and he so he's been saving up since he was very young for this. And the and the gift that he's gonna get, it's not he's not just gonna go down to the jewelry, he he's gonna he's gonna put a lot of effort into this thing. He's actually gonna travel to a foreign country, right? He's going he's gonna to dig this diamond out of a diamond mine himself. He gets permission. He goes in. He finds what He finds just the right one. He pays the price for it. He takes it out. He, he finds the best jewelry cutter in the world. And, and before he has them, he has uh, uh, them train him how to actually do it himself. And he trains for a long time. And he finally is able, and he, he's able to cut this diamond. And it's, it's exquisite. Right? And he has it set. And he does all these things. And he puts it in. And, and he brings it. He finally, he's, he's, he's wooed this woman. And he's ready to ask her, okay, will you marry me? And, but the, the gift here he has with it. I mean, this is one of the... But, but really, even though this gift is so magnificent, there's so much put into it. He knows that the greatest gift that he wants to offer her is not just this ring. But really himself. He's offering. He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, for the rest of my life. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forsake all others just for you. Right? This is what I'm about. This is what I'm going to do. Imagine, he wraps it up, brings it to her. He doesn't get the question out yet, but he he gets it. She she takes a look at the package and she says, this is a beautiful package. Sets it on to the side. Now immediately he starts to think if you if you're just the the, the outside <laughs> there's so much more there that you're missing right now can you feel that already I mean can you feel that I mean She she doesn't even realize, I mean, even to really appreciate the gift, it's going to be more than just opening it up, more than just seeing it, more than just hearing the question, more than understanding that. But then all that's gone into it and all that he's willing to do from this point on, there's so many questions that she's going to have to have answered to really appreciate what this moment is about. Let's even add to that. Let's just make it even bigger, okay? Let's say, in order for him to even go to her, he's had to give up his kingdom. Right? He was a prince. He said to forsake all things for this moment. Right? And and let's say her, let's say she has been uh, someone who's convicted of treason against this kingdom. It gets even deeper, doesn't it? There's a lot going on there. Now, I want you to take that... And I think that maybe you know where I'm going with this example from. I want you to just take it and set that example there. And just keep that picture in your mind. Paul here is praising God and blessing God. And saying, blessed be God for all that God has done. Right? He starts off, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, we know that God has blessed us in lots of ways. This, this morning during our praise and testimony time, there's praises that are spiritual, but there's also praises that are physical. Right? There, there's things, praise God, that I, you know, sometimes we have praises that, oh, thank you, Lord, that I've, I've, I've been healed from the sickness, or thank you that I've, this has happened, or thank you that you kept me safe, and the, these things like this. But much, much bigger than that, Paul delves into this realm of spiritual, thought god has blessed us spiritually speaking if i may just lay this out here many of us and many that are in our churches today are unwilling not everyone but many of us are unwilling to really delve even into that realm of spiritual blessing these spiritual ideas right? I'm willing to thank God for these things. But really to delve into what God has done for us spiritually, I almost want to keep that on the shelf. I mean, I'm willing to appreciate on the outside of the gift, the ribbon, the bow, the package, but to really delve into what all went into this, I don't know. If I might confront for a moment, I think that we would have to recognize that this has been a consistent factor even in our own church at Edgewood. Uh, if I may just say, let me pick on the guys for a moment. Uh, I can remember as a youth at Edgewood, and, and understand I'm not saying this is true with every single person. I'm saying just kind of a, a picture. And you, Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong in this. But one of the issues that I've noticed over the years, and this is not just Edgewood, but many other churches... I remember it specifically as a, as a teen. Even before I cared about the things of God, I noticed that there was there was a tendency amongst many men to allow the women to delve into the spiritual issues. They can handle all that spiritual stuff. Now, we'll take care of the building. We'll make sure this, get, this happens and this happens and this thing goes here. Almost as if it wasn't manly to really... And I'm not talking about just opening up and sharing our feelings. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about saying... I want to know what God has done, and I want to profess it verbally, what God has done for me, spiritually speaking, in my spiritual life. And do that hard work that's involved in those things. I'm willing to, to, to go out on the... Now, let me, let me add to that thought. Paul the Apostle here, opening up and saying, God has blessed me in all these spiritual realms. Paul was not, in any way, a weakling. He was a very courageous man. We know from the word that there was two times, two separate occasions, that Paul received the lashes. Right? The same ones that Jesus Christ received before he went to the cross. And didn't kill him. That's tough. We know at least one time that Paul was had rocks hurled on. We call that getting stoned. And, and he was actually left for dead. He got up. Kept going. In fact, the times that those kinds of things happened, the time that he was left for dead outside the city, you know what the first thing was that he did when he got up? He went back into the town. The same town that just tried to kill him. We're talking about a tough dude. But he was very verbal in saying, God has done much for me in the spiritual realm. He was... As a man, very much willing to delve into spiritual issues, to, to write in letters that whole churches would read about his struggles with sin and, and what God had done for him, he was very much God's kind of man. Willing to, to dive into spiritual issues and seek to understand. Let's unpack that gift and see what this really entails. What is this salvation that Jesus has done? I want to open it up. I want to know all the details. I want to know all that it cost. And as he did that, he began to appreciate even more and more what God had done. So much so that these spiritual issues became his life. Right? Think back to our example. The husband gives the gift to the wife, she just sits it off to the side. And he wants to say, open it up. There's more to it than just seeing the outside package. There's so much more there. In fact, you don't even really understand. Even if you open it up and you see the ring, you're not going to fully understand or appreciate that ring until you start delving into the history of the the ring and and what I did to bring this ring to you and what it's going to cost me just to give it to you and what it's going to mean for the rest of my life. And until you delve into that you're never going to fully understand, comprehend or appreciate it. If we come back to what we're talking about with Paul, when Paul writes this, this letter to the Ephesians and he begins delving into these these uh, spiritual issues and these spiritual things and he's praising God for it. In many ways it needs to be for us a confrontation to say, do I think the way Paul thinks? Consider some of the other things Paul mentions. Paul talks about spiritual adoption. This is one of the key essential teachings of Christianity. What is spiritual adoption? What does it mean? The fact that we're adopted into God's family. Do you understand that you were a treasonous sinner before God the Father, the judge of the universe, and yet He's going to adopt you into His family? And His Son, Jesus Christ, who has paid the penalty for those things, He, Jesus, is going to allow you to be a, a joint heir, like Paul says in Romans, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Do you understand what adopted into God's family means? Or how about when Paul begins to elaborate on this idea of redemption and forgiveness. I mean, we can easily say, oh, we've been redeemed, redemption, oh yes, forgiveness of sins. But do you recognize what all went into that? Do you recognize that there was blood that was shed? Paul says it right there, he says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our sins. Us as treasonous Sinners before the God of the universe who have committed treason against the, the, the heaven. Here we've been bought, redeemed, and the price? The, the judge's son for us. It, it, it blows the mind. The, the reality of how big this gift is, it, it, just, it could shatter your whole world. But some of us are are unwilling to delve into those things to open up and try to unpack what does this mean and what are these things, what are they talking about? I mean, frankly, if you consider the example for a minute, at some point, when the person doesn't open it up and delve into it and really understand what the gift is about, at some point, any reasonable human being would say, (coughs) this person may be holding this gift in this box But they don't even have it yet. Would you not agree? It it reminds me of a situation where uh, you you might have some young, you know, grandchild and they go to their grandmother and they say, Grandma, I bought you something. And Grandma goes, what is it? And they go, they open it up and and the grandma's looking at it and she's like, I don't know what this thing is. And it's an iPad. Right? And some of you are going, I don't know what an iPad is. Okay? This piece of technology. It's got a screen. It can do all kinds of crazy things. And, and, and so the, the the kid gives the, the iPad to the grandma and she's like, thank you. You know, And it's pretty. And uh, and, and the child goes and, and it comes back on the next visit and, grandma, are you enjoying your iPad? And she's like, oh yes. And she's got it sitting on her, her mantle above the fireplace. It is so beautiful. Thank you so much. And you're going, no grandma, you don't know what this thing is, right? I mean, in, in a very real sense, until you understand your gift... And what's been given to you, there's a very real possibility that you've never actually even received it. That's completely reasonable to to, to ask those kinds of questions. If you've never delved into what the gift actually is, and you you don't even comprehend what you've been given, there's a very real realization that maybe you've not even received it. It's reasonable to ask that question. So many of, in, in our church and the churches in this area, we've completely lost this sense of awe. And when I say awe, I'm talking about awe. Oh, it's awe is that oh, when you inhale and oh, it's amazing. Paul's describing this amazing gift that God has done; these amazing things that He's done. And there are so many people in this town, in our churches, that haven't once been taken aback by how amazing what God has done. They're like this this woman, and the, the husband says, but listen, I love you. You need to open this, and you need to let me ask the question. You need to understand what I'm doing right here. Imagine if she were to say, you know, I know you love me, but I don't I don't really want to get into all that. That's a lot of work, you know. I've got other things I got to do. I got things I got to delve into. I got, you know, what? What? How can you How can you do that? What's going on here? Paul continues on in his, his praise and, and all throughout he talks about how all these blessings have occurred in Christ. He keeps talking about in Christ or in the beloved or in Jesus or through Jesus Christ or through his blood. And, and he, he's pointing out that all of the things that God has done have only been possible and only been made possible through Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's everything. The Bible is a story about Jesus. It's a story of what Jesus has done. That's why we mentioned one week that history is really his story. It's about what God has done and the Bible unfolds what's going on. And if you don't understand what the Bible is teaching, what the Bible is about, and if you don't understand that the Bible is about Jesus, you're missing what this is all about. Paul then, over and over again through this particular passage, he keeps talking about grace. Now, we can sit here and we can talk about, yes, we're saved by grace. And we can sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And, and, but do you realize that throughout the history of the church, there have been men and women who, because they loved God and because they grasped what grace was about, were killed, were burned at the stake just because of a definition of grace. There, there were people who, who, I believe in God and I believe in grace, but what you're saying about grace isn't accurate and so we're going to kill you. And they were, they were willing to die for what grace means. Right? And yet there are people in this room who are unwilling to open up their Bible and study grace. some people are willing to die for what it means. And, And we have people who are unwilling to open up the Bible and say, What does grace mean? What is this gift about? What has God done for me? What has He done? How has He blessed me? I want to understand. I must understand it. I can't go another day, God, without knowing what all You've done for me. I need to know. I want, Lord, to think big thoughts about the gifts that You've given. I want to understand how great this gift is. Our brilliant God, and I mean that when I say that. It, it, Paul ends this little section with talking about the, the brilliance of God and how he has sealed us. Now think about this. See, all these things, all these ways that God has blessed us. And, he, and at the end he says, now God has sealed us so that we can have this inheritance. So we will have this inheritance. He's sealed us like a stamp. Now, the stamp, what's the stamp? What's the way? How can I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? You ever heard anybody say that before? You can know that you know that you... How can you know? What has God done? How has God stepped in? Let's see, what has He done? Has He said, okay, all you got to do is pray this prayer, then you'll know. The Bible never once says that. Never once. I challenge you, look, read, front to back, Genesis one all the way to the end. Never once does it say, you can know that you know that you know if you did this. No. You can know that you know that you know if you do this. No. You can know that you know the note. If you do this, no. <laughs> Never once. But you know what it does say? The seal that God has given. And I just, I, I'm telling you right now, I believe this is just absolutely brilliant on God's part. God in His infinite wisdom says, I'm going to do all these amazing things for you. And then I'm going to seal. Here's my seal. Just so that you'll know that I, I, this, this spiritual stuff is going on. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my spirit in you. And it's going to change you. It's going to transform you. You're going to do things that you never would have done naturally. Because you now have God living in you. You're sealed. And that's your seal. That's how you can know. Because you'll have God in you. It's amazing. And Paul praises God for it. Praise God that I've got the, the Spirit has been given to us as a seal. Praise God that He that's how He did it. Instead of saying, I'm going to send you a piece of paper, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to have this thing happen. No, no, no. I'm going to give you myself to live in your heart and change you. And so Paul wraps that up. And there's so many other, just in this one passage, big thoughts about God and, and deep things that Paul just praises God for. Thank you that you're like this, God. We could even dig into this... this Topic of predestination that so many people, they just want to avoid. Oh, wait a minute, Matt. You going to talk about that? Paul did. He just praised God for it. I mean, let me just even just read verse 11. Paul says, In him you have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What? But Paul's praising God for this big thing that God has done. And some of us are unwilling. Oh, we'll spend, we'll spend in this next week, for many of us, literally hours this week watching television. We will spend literally hours doing all kinds of other things. In fact, for some of us, if we were completely honest, we will spend literally hours tomorrow watching TV but not even crack the book open to see what God might have for you. Do you realize the audacity? I mean, my example of a guy and doing all this and giving up a kingdom and everything, that doesn't even begin to to cast a shadow on how dreadful it is that people who claim to be Christians do not pour themselves into Scripture. Scripture. To know what it means and to understand it and to understand the gift that God has given. It's dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Now, I need to say in the midst of all this that if you study church history, there's a pattern that you can follow. Sometimes big, sometimes small. It's a pattern of, of the church that that there's always a drift away from truth and then some reform. And then there's drift and then reform. The biggest drift that the church suffered has a name. It's called the Dark Ages. Affected all of Europe. The biggest reform we call the Reformation. Right? But since then, there's been a pattern of drift and reform. Drift and reform. I was recently reading a story of a a pastor named Richard Baxter. He was a Puritan uh, pastor. And he sent out this book. He published this book, and it was from all the churches uh, in his area, and it was from all the pastors. And the, the book, the first opening page of the book says, We as pastors, we are openly confessing for a day of humiliation how we have sinned in a horrible way. And he begins to describe how the pastors in this area have sinned horribly. And I'm going, wow, I wonder what this is. I'm just starting this book going, what, what is Richard Baxter going to say? What's this great sin that he's freely confessing in front of everybody? And you know what his he believed his sin was? The pastors felt that they had sinned because they had not been teaching the people to learn Scripture for themselves. And to pick it up and to study it not to boast on the Baptists for, for for any amount of time, but just for a moment, do you realize that even in Baptist history, one of the things that they stood for strongly is making sure that the Word of God was in the hand of every single person in their church and that those people would study and learn God and learn what He's about and study and learn those things. Right? But then again and again, there's this drift away from truth. And every single time you see a drift, there's something always connected with drift in churches. Every single time, without exception, drift in churches is associated with one particular thing. Laziness on the part of people to study God's word for themselves. Right? laziness on the part of God's people to pick up the word, not on the part of the pastor, though that, that's in connection, but laziness on part of the people to not be Bereans, not be people who are evaluating what the pastor says and taking that home and studying it for themselves and, and learning those things for themselves. Every single time that the church has drifted from the truth, that has been the main contributing cause. The people of the church do not study God's word for themselves. And every single time you see reform Is when God begins to work in different people that they begin to, even regardless of what their their teachers or their pastors are saying, they're picking up the Bible for themselves and they're studying it and they're evaluating it. And then you begin to see more people picking it up and learning it for themselves and understanding what it means and figuring out, oh, this is what it's about. I believe that we as a church in America and in Danville and even right here are in desperate need of reform. If I might, for the end of this, uh, call you to repentance. If if you do not spend a significant amount of time every week seeking God, reading your Bible, praying, studying, asking God for wisdom, thinking what I called big thoughts about God, looking up, what does this mean, and what is adoption about, and, and what is this about... I believe, number one, there's a potential that maybe you haven't really even received the gift yet. Just like this woman who's unwilling. I mean, if someone's unwilling to open it, at some point you go, you, you don't even know what you're being given. You, you're not even going to be a recipient, ultimately, of this gift until you're willing to delve into it and see what it's about. There's got to be some level of understanding of your gift before you can even receive it and accept it. Same thing is true of the gift that God has given us. There's a danger. This is why Paul, I mean, you just read the New Testament. Don't take my word for it. Read it over and over again. There's constantly, uh, Paul and Peter and all these are constantly calling us to examine yourself, to make sure that you're in the faith. Just because you're at church doesn't mean that you're safe and you're fine. You've got to examine yourself, Paul said. Examine yourself. See if you're actually in the faith. Jesus warns us in his great Sermon on the Mount that there's going to be many people, not a few, Many people that will one day stand before God, completely ready. I'm going to heaven. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. But Lord, we did this and we did this and we did... And Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you. The relationship wasn't there. Depart into everlasting darkness. Darkness. There's a real, very real, very present danger that all of us face of self-deception. And the way to battle it is through knowledge and understanding what Scripture teaches. You know, We talk about these things that, um, with some of the teachers at school. We'll talk about how in a, in a different scenario in America today, one, one of the ways to battle uh, loss of freedom is through education, understanding. Uh, to be a good voter, you need to be an educated voter. You have to understand what's going on and which political side to take. You've got, you got to learn things to be able to make good decisions. Would you agree with that idea? I mean, to be a, to be a good voter, you need to be a knowledgeable voter. And to understand the implications of what our, our politicians are saying, well, you've got to be an understanding, uh, you know, know what's going on. Be an educated voter. In a much more real way, it's so important to be an educated, if you might say church member, someone that goes to church, that you begin to understand, what does the Bible teach? Because you stand in danger of self-deception, of missing it, so to speak. Of thinking you're right on the, and, and, and you're off over here, in left field. There's a danger of those things. So my call today is to Repent. We're on a spiritual drift. And I believe this church is on a spiritual drift. I I could be completely off base here. But I would say many of us, if, if we were completely honest before God right now, we'd raise our hand and say, you know what? I, I go sometimes weeks without reading my Bible. I, I go sometimes, I, I've probably gone a month before. I haven't even picked it up. Understand that that's not just like, oh, oops, you might actually miss the point and miss thereby the gift. Right? There's a present danger. The seal for you to know that you know that you know is God's Spirit working in you. And one of the signs of God's Spirit in you is that you are in His Word. Studying it. Learning it. Taking what the pastor gets up and says on Sunday and taking it home and going, wait a minute, I've got to think about this. I'm not sure, i got to, let's see, what does the Bible actually say here? Does, was he right? Was he wrong? What, what's going on? It's an understanding of that gift. Now, we're going to take a minute here and we're going to do uh, communion. And during the communion time, uh, just so you know how we do this, uh, during this time of communion, uh, I usually take a minute, I pray a blessing on the, the bread and the... The, the cup, and I, I thank God for those things as Paul has done, and, and, and then for 2,000 years, this tradition has carried on. We're going to pray for those things. We're going to thank God for those things. But it, I think it's such a great example, even in this, how few of us even really fully comprehend all the elements. What, what is this about? What's going on? Why are we doing this? But you know what? We can use this time to examine ourselves. And so before I come down there and before I call the guys up, i want to read through. This is 1 Corinthians. This is right after the passage of uh, what we're talking about. Right after the passage of when I say, okay, you take the bread, take the cup, and we do all those things. Right after that, Paul says this. Now listen carefully. Paul says this. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats the, who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? We're going to take some time. I'm going to come down there and I'm going to thank God for those things we're going to distribute but before you take that I just want you to hold on to that piece of bread and hold on to that cup and, and, and while you're sitting there I'm going to read through a psalm uh, I just want you to sit there and listen to that psalm listen to God's word examine yourself examine your heart have you been like this, this person who's, who's just going to ignore the great gift of God not even open it not even peel back the, the edges and let's see what's going on what is this gift about Are you more concerned with other things in your life? I'm so concerned with this, and I'm concerned with this, and I'm concerned with this, and I spend hours dealing with this and this and this, but are you unwilling to just look at what God has done for you and and think about it and read about it and study what God has done? And so as I read that psalm, examine yourself. Has your heart been where it needs to be? Are you even really a recipient of that great gift? When I'm done reading the psalm I'm going to lead you then in taking those things. And I want you to encourage you to be examining yourself and and if you realize as we're doing that you realize you know what I have not been doing what I need to do. I've been more focused on all these circumstances in my life than the great God and the great gift He's given. Then here's the great news for you. In that exact moment you don't have to do a bunch of things. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to do a bunch of things. All you have to do is say God God I come to you humbly asking for your forgiveness. Now, if you're a Christian, you're already forgiven anyway. Would you come to me and say, Lord, I'm, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And then I want to encourage you to, to take a minute and pray. It's, Lord, would you change my heart? If, if, you, if it's true that your spirit has been given to me as a seal to guarantee my inheritance, God, would you please bless me with that spirit right now? Alright, I'm going to come down here. And I'd like to ask uh, um, my dad and Steve, would you mind coming up here too? Uh, before I pass these things out, I want to pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you this day for uh, what we call the Lord's Supper, for this bread and this cup. God, I thank you for what it means. I thank you for the fact that the great gifts that you've given to us have involved your body being broken for us and and your blood being shed for us. Help us not to miss the significance of this gift. Father, I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you bless it as each person holds these things and they're sitting there contemplating and examining themselves. Lord, I pray that you would uh, use this in their hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. This is Psalm 107. I'm going to begin reading it while they're finished passing those things out. David writes, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands and the, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered into desert wastes Finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way, till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the word of God, and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His his wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. Then they saw the deeds of the Lord and His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, and the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of of the Lord. As we take this communion, I encourage you to consider, think about the steadfast love of the Lord, and then proclaim it, like David says, in the congregation. If you want to be obedient to God's word, these, this is the way we need to go. Paul writes this For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for this day. God, I pray that you would not let this time of communion go uh, unnoticed. But Lord, I pray that you would use it in our lives. Help those in this room that have forsaken your great gift for such silly things like television, entertainment. God, I pray that you'd help them to repent today and to spend time with you this week. To pick up their their, their dusty Bibles and brush them off and, and, and pour themselves into it. And, and maybe, Lord, even get on their knees and say, God, help me to study your word and to learn from it. And to know what you have for me and know what you've done for me. In all of these things, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.